my mother, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, they all say some version of this statement somewhat regularly. And the statement that they make in, in an exacerbated tone of voice is, I, I don't like the world that my grandchildren are inheriting. I don't like the world that we're leaving my grandkids. And they'll talk about things like affordable housing. They'll talk about things like the skyrocketing, skyrocketing costs of college education. They'll talk about things like, I hope that my grandson, my granddaughters, I hope that they can find someone who will share their values, who will share their faith, who will stick with them no matter what, right? And so they, they will say these things in a kind of exacerbated way. And it got me thinking, are we better off today in 2022 as followers of Jesus Christ than the followers of Jesus Christ were in say AD 90 under the boot of Rome? And so I'm, I'm curious, straw poll, if you think we're better off today in 2022, show of hands. All right, a good few of you. If you think the early followers of Jesus in AD 90 were better off, show of hands. All right, so, so all right. So, <laughs> well, this would have been 30 years past when they would have been burned in Nero's gardens and stuff like that. Like that, that wave of persecution had ended by AD 90, 95. So here's the deal. People under the age of 18 are the most vulnerable, the most teachable, and they have the potential to live the longest of any of us and so what we do or don't do with and for people under the age of 18 impacts our future. It impacts everything. And so today I'd like to remind you that we've got to pass on the history and reality, reality of our faith to the next generation. We have what, uh, what someone has called a next generation obligation. That's a mouthful, isn't it? A next generation obligation. All throughout history, God has issued a, a next generation obligation to people of faith. He said, teach your children in every season. Uh, Jesus, Jesus told us the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. If I were putting money on a third greatest commandment, it would be this next generation obligation. Pass on your love of God to the generation that follows you. Teach them to know him. Teach them about him. Teach them to love him and live for him and to let others know about him too. Um, this next generation obligation is why we have the name that we have. Remember back in November, for those of you that were here, I revealed the fact that Generations Community Church is no longer the only Generations Church in America. Remember all the different churches from all the different cities from November? that now exist all throughout the United States of America. There's one in Canton, Georgia, San Diego, California, Greeley, Colorado, Trinity, Florida, New York, New York, Marysville, Washington, Cleveland, Ohio, Southport, North Carolina, and yes, Independence, Kentucky. There's another, there are two other generations churches in Kentucky. And many of them cite Psalm 78 as forming their name, and many of them seem concerned about this next generation obligation. Our name does come from Psalm 78. So that's the psalm we're in today, but I want to focus on a part of the psalm that I've not ever focused on when teaching from Psalm 78. 
So Psalm 78 is a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph puts to words this. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we've heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. Now, a psalm of Asaph in Hebrew is a maskal of Asaph, a maskal of Asaph, and a maskal is a teaching. So Psalm 78 is a teaching of somebody named Asaph. Who is this Asaph guy? Well, First Chronicles tells us, right? In First Chronicles chapter 16, reads this, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord, to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals. Josh, Asaph was the symbol, symbolist. <laughs> I don't know what kind of symbols the ancient Hebrews used. I, I envision in my head marching band, and I don't think it's the same thing. Watch, we'll get to the resurrected life and it'll be finger symbols. <laughs> okay, right? So Asaph is the symbol guy. And so what's happening is this thing from First Chronicles, this is the first entry of the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. So this is the moment when David kind of tosses off his outer garments and he dances unto the Lord. And then other people look at that and they're like, oh, inappropriate. David, how could you? Right? And, and so the Ark of the Covenant is entering Jerusalem. And it's this huge celebration. It's taking place about 1000 BC. And Asaph is there. And he's one of the musicians. And he's the symbol guy. He's sounding the symbols. Now, the nation of Israel continued for another... 400 years. So after David, David's kingdom gets to Solomon and Solomon gives it to two sons because it's divided in half. And then for 400 years, there are good kings, but mostly bad kings. And during those 400 years, Israel loses more battles than it wins. And the people tend to forget God and to forget obeying God's commandments. And it gets to a point where the nation of Babylon comes in and wipes them out. The Babylonians kill a lot of ancient Israelites, and the Israelites that are left, they take them into groups and they deport them back to their home country of Babylon. So imagine Canada coming in, wiping us out, a few Americans are left, and the Americans that are left, these poor Floridians, little groups of Floridians are taken all the way up I-75, all the way up to Manitoba. <laughs> To endure the brutal winters, Canadian winters, never to see the sun, never to know what 80 degrees is ever again, okay? We're told that the ancient Israelites in Babylon would weep by the river and sing the songs that they used to sing when, when Israel would have these big celebrations in the capital city of Jerusalem. And they would just weep because they wanted to go home. And they would reflect on what got them to this point. Well, after they're there in Babylon for 70 years, a new king comes into power who starts to send groups of Israelites back to Israel. 
and that's in Nehemiah chapter 7. Here's the list of the Jewish exiles from the provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. And this is the number of the men of Israel who returned, and it gives this long list. And in the list is guess who? Descendants of who? Asaph. The symbol player from 1000 BC has 148 sons, daughters, I don't know, people who are now singers for God going back into the city of Jerusalem 500 years later. What a legacy of faith. So this guy Asaph, when he's got a mascal, a teaching, my ears perk up because I realized this guy's got quite the family tree. 500 years later in his family line, there are still people faithfully singing and making a joyful noise unto the Lord. So what does he have to say? And that's Psalm 78. And he says this, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. So, not hiding them and telling them is part of what we do. Um, and if you read the rest of Psalm 78, it's basically lifted right out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. In some places, it's word for word. What Asaph is doing is he's retelling what God did. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and you had to make bricks out of mud and straw and Pharaoh was really hard and you cried out to God your ancestors did and God heard their prayer and sent a man named Moses and delivered his people and led them to a place where we are now and God fought battles and broke down walls and defeated kings and blessed you and gave you crops and children and grandchildren but then, just like your ancestors who were in the desert with Moses, uh, your ancestors became stiff-necked. They didn't want to obey God. They wanted to be their own God. And so this pattern keeps happening, right? But Asaph, throughout all of Psalm 78, tells their story, tells their history. And that's really, really important. Our kids need to know who God is, and the best way to show them who God is is to tell them what God has done. Um, there's a popular movement these days. There's two things that are kind of popular. One is this whole deconstructing your faith thing. I'll get into that on another Sunday, but uh, the people who deconstruct their faith are doing the same thing that Augustine did, the same thing that Martin Luther did, the same thing that people have done for hundreds of years, only because of Instagram, they think they're the first people in all of human history to ever have struggles, right? So people, they're doing this thing of, I can't believe the Catholic Church or the Southern Baptist Church or my pastor, and so I'm going to deconstruct my faith. And I'm like, you should talk to Martin Luther. He had, I can't believe my church. They're basically letting people sin for money. I can't believe the church is doing this. <laughs> like, you know, and that was in 1500 AD, okay? So the other thing that is kind of uh, happening now in America are parents who will say, I'm not going to influence my kids about God. I'm going to let them make their own decision. And believe it or not, I've actually had people come into generations over the years 
where they've expressed some version of that to me. They've said, you know, uh, I'm married, I'm here by myself, my spouse is an atheist, but, and, you know, I don't think I really believe this, but I want my kids to have some kind of exposure so they can make up their own mind. Is there a God? Is there not a God? So good luck, Pastor Max. I hope that works out well for you. you know? <laughs> but we're here for a stint. We'll see how this all shakes out. And I, I look at that and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like as a parent, are you going to do the whole thing in the kitchen of, well, I'm not going to tell my kids what they should eat. I mean, you know, if they're just doing Twinkies all the time, I mean, who am I to tell them that they shouldn't just eat Twinkies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Like, I'm not going to tell them what they should. No, you tell your kids what to eat. And then some of you, I know how you are. You're like, your kids go hungry if they don't want what's, on the, what's served for dinner. Like, they're hungry the rest of the night. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, we have to tell our kids what God has done. And we can't let them figure these things out by themselves. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ, but also through his word, through these stories of God's people. And telling the stories of God's people matter. Letting kids figure things out is not gonna work, okay? Asaph, the guy who penned Psalm 78, believed that going over the big stories of the people of God were important and reminding his kids and his grandkids what they were part of as God's people was important. Um, so let me draw a couple of practical implications from this. One is if you've got kids, I beg of you to make Sunday a priority and bring them to church because you know what's going to happen when we gather for worship in church? We're going to be telling the stories of God. <laughs> Every single Sunday, every single time, they're going to get scripture and they're going to get something from God's word. And he, I brought these out again because I want you parents to see this visually. This is how many Sundays they're in church. This is how many hours you have with them in the same year. So this is the number of hours in a year they're in church. And this is the number of hours that you have with them. Here's what I could also tell you. This also represents the number of hours they're in front of a screen if they're 9, 10, or 11 years old. In other words, the screen is speaking into their hearts and minds as much as you are if there aren't limits in place about screens, right? And so it matters. It matters. So when you bring your kids to God's house when God's house is open and we're worshiping, like they're going to get God's stories. They're going to hear about what God has done for Abraham or Moses or Joseph or Jesus or Paul or Mary or Rahab or Sarah. And in those interchanges with those men and women and then God's people, they're going to make some connections about the kind of God that God is like. The other thing that you can do is you can tell them about what God has done in your family. My parents... Uh, my dad was really good about this uh, in telling his story of faith to Brent and I when we were growing up. So my dad would tell a version of this story pretty consistently. Mark, because that's my real name and that's what he called me. Mark, I got to tell you, when I was a young man, I was sowing my oats. I, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. My, my mom and dad took their faith seriously and I... 
I partied and I drank and I smoked and I wanted to do the fun things that I couldn't do when I was a teenager. So when I got back after the Navy, after doing my stint in the Navy, like I, I just wanted to live life. And I didn't want to have anything to God, do with God and I didn't want to have anything to do with the church. And then I met your mom and I was smitten. And three months later, we were married. And she didn't want to have anything to do with God. And I didn't at the time either. And so like, you know, it seemed like it worked. But you know what? That was a mistake. And I regret, and he would, he would tell the regret, and then he would tell about the moment when, uh, after Brent was born, he was like, oh, snap, if I don't change something, my sons aren't going to have what I had as a kid, and they're not going to hear anything about God, and they're not even going to know better. And so, bless his heart, my dad, and this is back in the 19, early 1970s, he would drag us to church, first to his parents' church, without his wife. So, back then in 1972 for a man who's married to bring his kids to church without his wife like that was huge like everybody's like what's your problem what's going on michael <laughs> do we need to have a prayer you know do we need to have a conversation okay so but he would tell these stories and so i found that similarly true right when i tell the stories of our family to my kids and my girls it it matters it makes an impact and so you can do the same when it comes to your kids and your families. What are the key things? How did you and your spouse come together? Was God part of that? What are some of the big ways that God has come through for you in your life? Where are moments when you were running from God and what was that like for you? Telling those stories to your kids uh, matters. It matters. So tell them how you came to Christ. Tell them how God led you to a job or led you away from a job. <laughs> tell them how... Uh, God has provided for you over the years. Um, these kinds of things will make huge impacts in your kids. I'll, I, I would like to remind you of why you're sitting in these chairs right now. You're sitting in these chairs right now because way back in 2002 and 2003, some young, stupid pastor had this heart wrestling problem with the church I was serving I was a children's pastor we were we were doing discipleship like nobody's business we had Sunday morning church Sunday night church Wednesday night church and small groups I mean you had to really love God to be part of this what we were doing like we just spun it but I was seeing the same thing happen over and over again I was seeing our kids go grow up through that and we did a wanna we did uh, friendship groups we did all kinds of things for kids youth met twice a week and then uh sundays and wednesdays and then youth had to do have a they had a service thing every month they had a social thing every month so we kept youth busy but then these these kids that had grown up in church would turn 18 19 and i would watch them walk away from the church and i it just broke my heart and i was like I can't watch this happen anymore. Like, I got to do something. And there was this wrestling and inner turmoil. And so I prayed and prayed about it. And I felt like God was saying, you need to, you need to, I want you to start a church. And I would be like, God, that's not me. That's not my personality. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not that kind of leader. I'm not smart enough, strong enough. I can't even speak. The first time I spoke here, the pastor told me, Pastor Max, you can still be a good pastor and not preach worth a darn. Like, I can't do this. Forget Moses. Like, I'm many notches below that. And I had this argument with God over two years. 
And finally, when Jenny and I were discussing and praying, we decided, okay, we got to do something radical and take a step of faith and, and see if we can uh, take a step out and do that. And, and we prayed a prayer and uh, our, we fleeced God. I don't recommend doing this. This is not biblical. It's not appropriate. It is not God condoned. But we basically prayed a prayer one morning and we said, we just need to know if you're in this. And if you're in this, it's two days before the start of school. And so we know all the jobs have been filled. But if you're in this, then God, you provide Jenny a job at either this school or this school, Roosevelt Dunbar or Warner Elementary. And the job has to be given to her today. Ha. And this was like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning and opening day for the start of school was two days later. And so we prayed that prayer. And when Jenny left, I remember thinking, well, we're going to, when she comes back and tells me there's no jobs, blah, 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 we're going to have to figure out like, what does God really want us to do? And you know, the funny thing that happened, she came back and she said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> but the principal of Rosenwald Dunbar had one of her, uh, one of his veteran teachers quit on him last night. They're moving to Michigan. And he can't hire one of the gazillion first-year teachers that he's interviewed over the last several weeks. And he prayed last night, God, you need to send me a veteran, someone who's been in the trenches, because I can't have another first-year teacher this year. And, and she said, I walked into his office and I said to him, what if I told you I'd be in the market to get back into teaching? And he said, you need to sit down because we need to talk. Was God part of that? Let me ask you the question, was God part of that? Yes, yes, okay? God does these kinds of things. And telling these stories, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, God. <laughs> God's at work. God's doing the stuff that God does. And so I want to encourage you, again, if you've got kids, make Sunday a priority to be in God's house, but tell them the stories of your family. Tell them the stories of our church family so that those stories get ingrained in them so that when they become 20 years old, they can tell your stories to other people because it will matter. It'll get stuck in there. That's why Asaph has Psalm 78. And that's why Jews and Christians retell these accounts over and over again. There's a reason that we tell the story of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday every single year <laughs> it's not a one and done thing 